Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner on this fine Tuesday afternoon as we're recording it. Uh, guys, how you doing today? Doing great, Rob. The weather's kind of nice outside, enjoying it this morning at practice. Uh, I kind of like this time here. You got the intersection of basketball starting up, which we'll be talking about quite a bit. We're getting into some peak recruiting stuff, the home stretch of football. It's busy, but it's fun. Guys? I was just going to say with basketball, we got three games to cover in, I think, four days. So that'll be exciting coming up toward the weekend. Oh, that's going to be uh, pretty crazy. Not in a good way. I think it's a great way. I think everything. Okay, I think everything is great. Great. You know, I'm going to give you some you more of my get, work this week. Well, it, I it, was happy to. I was. Ha- it, we're going to put it on the record. I was happy to take it. Yeah. I it, was going to help you. And then you would be up all night, and then you would be not even coherent on the podcast right now. I'm always coherent. Well, always. it, it wow. wasn't so great for Jaden Daniels this past week, as he uh, kind of caught everybody by surprise and caught us by surprise a little bit, as he didn't start this past game to to USC with that that knee injury that he suffered against UCLA that. Nobody really expected to be as bad as it appeared to be. Uh, Joey Yellen obviously made his first career start. We didn't really learn that there was even a possibility of Jaden Daniels uh, being injured until Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. Um, Chris did some reporting on it. We reported before the game that Joey Yellen would be making his first career start. Um, as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, November 12th, though, Jaden Daniels said today after practice that he feels very good, uh, feels a lot better, and that he does expect to play and start against Oregon State this weekend. Right, so a few things on this. Uh, we know, of course, that Daniels got hurt in that UCLA game, and he went out for the one play. Yellen goes in. Uh, they they were in a fourth and one or third and one situation, and they they had a false start from Spencer Lovell. Uh, and then Daniels came in, played the rest of the game. Uh, after that, throughout the bye week, he was a little bit limited. Still out there though, right? Practicing and doing things, but we get only a half an hour. So we didn't really get to see everything that they're doing. Um, and then I think really for to put on a you know, certain look, they uh, had uh, Daniels out there on Tuesday and Wednesday kind of doing everything that he would normally do in the install period of practice. And then they actually showed us 11 on 11, which, by the way, they hadn't done much of all season. So that was almost like they were trying to project that Daniels was going to be able to play. And, and so, uh, you know, from there, we kind of started to hear, you know, the rumors and, uh, you know, like the barstool guy and who's got a, a account on Twitter for his dog starts to, you know, post about Leroy. that. Yeah, it's dog Leroy and all that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of barstool because I, this is not, it's not a professional thing and you, you don't, I mean, okay, whatever, but the, <laughs> But the point is that um, I've never seen in my career a quarterback on Wednesday look good the way that Daniels did. He threw two touchdowns. He hit Frank Darby. He hit uh, Brandon Brandon Ayuk. He's like smiling, laughing, and having a good time. I've never seen that and then have that guy not play on a Saturday unless there was some additional thing that happened between Wednesday and Saturday to aggravate the situation, right? So when I first started hearing this, I started looking into it a lot. And, you know, we got good sources, right? Like we break, we break quite a bit of news covering ASU and the people that I would normally, uh, you know, 
consider to be the most reliable that would give me uh, good in, a good update on this sort of thing. Right. They were pretty silent when I was when I was reaching out to them, and that was an indicator pretty clearly that that there was an issue and that Daniels probably wasn't going to play mm -hmm. because otherwise I would have been able to get that refuted pretty quickly. Right. Right. So um, you know, but but internally, what they said after is that. They knew all week pretty much that there was a good possibility that Yellen would be starting. Right. After the game, Herm Edwards said that basically by Tuesday, Joey knew that he right. had, so was a good Tuesday, chance. Right. So on Tuesday, they went into a meeting and they said, hey, Joey, you know, pretty good chance you're going to be starting this week. And Joey handled it, you know, pretty you know nonchalant, right? And, you know, by probably by like Thursday, they knew for sure right. that, that was the case. Um, I, I think really importantly, and I'm going to be writing something about this as well, but uh, – before we even get into the whole USC game and mm -hmm. everything, I just want to say a lot of coaches would push a quarterback to play in this sort of a situation. They would be like, okay, well, you're hurt kind of, but our backup quarterback's not super mobile anyways. And, uh, you know, we know that you're going to be able to throw the ball, you know, still pretty successfully. So why don't you, you know, give it a shot, go out there and try to play. You push for that. Right. But ASU's coaches didn't do that, even when, uh, as a result, they'd be playing a guy against USC, having lost two games in a row, uh, who had never played before, never thrown a pass right mm -hmm. in a college game. That's a very difficult situation. So I think it's a credit to ASU's coaches to not have pushed Daniels to try to play, given that he felt like his knee was, was stiff and kind of bothering him and all that. And... Uh, Obviously, we're going to talk about you know how how Joey De Joey Yellen really exceeded all expectations in that game, but yes, to your point, Rob, uh, Jane Daniels is doing everything in practice this week and should be good to go for Oregon State. Meanwhile, and this is maybe a good way to dump into the rest of the conversation, but uh, Joey Yellen wasn't able to even practice today because his shoulder's sore, and this is from an injury that happened on the third play of the game when he was sacked and, and driven into the ground on his throwing shoulder he was able to tough out the rest of the game so anything you guys want to add on just like the whole yelling the whole daniel's backstory and taking us into the the yelling thing yeah and and not to back up too much onto what you said but to add on to it a little bit and to give those of you listening a little bit of insight onto how things work process wise for us a little bit and then especially for chris not only did chris's sources and, and the people that that he talks to to get this information corroborated and confirmed not respond but we had observed Jaden Daniels warming up in stretch lines and jogging and all this kind of stuff so not just in 11 on 11 but we had seen him do things that we would see normally and yeah, he's so, moving around okay right but but just as insight into how the conversation works and how it went specifically for us is that was part of our conversation is I remember Chris you sent a text in our group chat the Sun Devil Source group chat did anybody see him do something not normal? And and all of us said, no, we didn't. And even on video, we had video of Jaden participating as he would normally. So this process was was interesting and different than I think people would think it would have been because it did look so normal throughout the week. Shout out to Robbie and the Kern Dog Wolf Wolf. Uh, okay, oh whatever that means. For and the video that you were able to see that it proved that he was doing all the same stuff. Uh, okay, uh, you can <laughs> Barstool probably want, will be willing to hire you. So maybe uh, maybe the dog Kern Dog. Yeah. So so but but yeah, and we've seen in the past a lot of times when quarterbacks, they, you know, they're, they're they're trying to sort of protect their situation. Like I can recall Manny Wilkins 
like that ASU Todd Graham trying to make it look like Manny Wilkins was going to play, but you go out there and you're like, oh, like I just watched this dude go through a warm-up line. He can't even move. There's no way he's playing, right? Daniels at least had some decent, you know, decent mobility. I'm not saying that he was had the same level of flexibility and all that stuff. He wasn't. But he was able to go through the warm-up lines and make it look as though he With was... With lateral jogging and moving yes. and maybe not in extreme like you said, but for sure normal. Well... Normal for like you and me, normal. right? Yes, not normal for maybe Jane Daniels. Of course. Okay. All right. Let's let's head into the game though. Now ASU lost thirty-one twenty-six in this ball game. I want to hear you guys' overall takeaways, and then we'll start to be a little bit more specific with some of our thoughts. Well, probably not a good idea to get behind twenty-eight to seven and give up uh, four touchdowns in the first <laughs> quarter. Uh, I just want to take issue. I I, I, I Danny Gonzalez tends to be very accurate in a lot of the things that he says after games in between games I think I think he says after this game that there was two big plays that were responsible for ASU being down 28-7 in the first quarter and that's just objectively not true like it's just not at all true the ASU had all kind of plays that were bad in that quarter, okay? Herm Edwards yesterday was laughing and saying he had no idea how it was possible to give up a 95-yard touchdown well in cover two. Yeah, I mean, he was sarcastically, derisively sort of laughing at his own, right? So, yeah, so there was the, that was on a third and 10 play, 95-yard uh, completion. The ASU was in a, ta- a version of cover two called Tampa two. For those people maybe not familiar with it, you're, you're splitting the the, uh, the top of the defense uh, of the ha- of the field in half, that was um, after Cam Phillips had suffered a concussion and was out of the game. They had Willie Hart's in the game and Kiwan Markham, and uh, Tampa two is with the intermediate zone defender playing underneath of the two deep safeties, and that's Evan Fields typically and in this case, and the number three receiver, which is the 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 and a three by one, the innermost receiver in the slot. Basically ran a vertical route. Um, ASU rushed four. Tyler Johnson was is ASU's best pass rusher. I think everybody knows that. USC used its back to protect on him. So Slovis had lots of time, and he threw a line drive ball that was over the head of Evan Fields as um, it was St. Brown, right? As St. Brown mm-hmm. got behind Fields and in between Crosswell and um, – and Willie Hartz, and they all ran into each other uh, in a triangle as St. Brown was already behind him and, and on the races for a touchdown. Now, neither one of the safeties on that play, the, the Ranger safeties, should allow any receiver on their side of the field to get deeper than them. Mm-hmm. Herm Edwards said, you got to stay as deep as the deepest. That's the way that it typically is, re- is referred to. This was in the middle of the field, so really neither one of them should have been able to be beaten vertically over the middle of the field. But that is the soft spot in this sort of a um, pass concept, and that's why they went there. Um, and but f- to my eye, watching it again, and they showed the over, they showed the good all twenty-two coaches angle. It was Ashari Crosswell who got about two steps before the ball was released, too much up and outside of where he needed to be. And what happens is the the 
the other routes are run in coordination to try to create window dressing to occupy players so that they don't get over to that route over the middle of the field. And it worked. Like, it worked perfectly. But Danny Gonzalez and uh, Herm Edwards were very upset. They also had um, uh, Ashari Crossbow was responsible for the slot wheel route. That was a big play that was down the sidelines. Mm-hmm. That was a reception of 60-something yards. I think 66. Okay, whatever. Like yeah, that. 65, 66 yards, whatever it was. On that play, you had Crosswell reading the running back motion into the flat like like it was going to be a screen, a flat route. Mm-hmm. He starts breaking up, and he had a man coverage assignment on the number two receiver, let him go. That was Pittman, and Pittman ended up catching the ball down the field for 65 yards. And and um, beyond that, in this quarter, though, remember, uh, Keaton Slovis, freshman quarterback, completed his first 11 or 12 passes in the game, right? Uh, a lot of those also were actually against some one-on-one coverage of mm-hmm. Crosswell. What you, what ASU did in this game was it it in the in in all this season up to this game, ASU had been flipping its Ranger safeties. Uh, or playing them on the same side, left and right, as opposed to flipping them like it did in, in, the, in years in last year. Last year, they played boundary and field. Field's the wider side, boundary's the shorter side. In this game, they decided to revert back to what they were doing last year. They played Crosswell on the field side, and they brought Crosswell up a lot closer to the line of scrimmage against these three-by-one sets because they were trying to play man coverage against those. And they had on the other side, whoever was the other Ranger safety. Started out, of course, as Cam Phillips. Then it became uh, Willie Hartz, and then eventually it became Kobe Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Um but Crosswell, who isn't really a dynamic man coverage player, he's more of a zone safety than he is a man coverage safety playing up. He was getting beaten because he was, had a cushion and they were running a lot of these quick, sharp angled routes, like a lot of outbreaking, sharp outs and in cuts. And so the ball was being caught pretty consistently in front of him and also in front of other ASU receivers. Uh, I mean, other ASU defensive backs. Pardon me. You had Chase Lucas giving up balls. Uh, Jack Jones had give up a, gave up a couple of passes in, in front of him. And part of that is because you're 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 trying to account for the speed and the vertical capability of a Pittman, St. Brown, Tyler Vines, and then you get a little bit of too much of a buffer there in in coverage, and that's what allowed USC to basically march down the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there were more than just two plays that uh, you know we could go over all of them and be here for an hour. But I assure you that. There were several plays just in the first quarter alone that were bad defense by ASU, right? And and were very problematic. I'm curious, Chris, just where you think Ashari Crosswell is at with the coaching staff right now. I know in, in Tuesday's practice we saw Kiwan Markham out there instead of him with the first team, and then obviously he had the instance at UCLA where he kicked the ball and got the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Where do you think they're they're just at with him and sort of what where he's been these couple last couple games? Right. So you guys will remember that on Monday I asked Herm Edwards at the press conference about his defensive players from year one to year two, and he had a hard time initially answering that question before pretty much acknowledging that it, they, it hasn't been going as well as they would have liked like it to be. Right. And 
the reason I asked that question was primarily related to the play of Merlin Robertson, who had the 15-yard penalty, hands to the face, on a, a, a conversion on a third and one that on a drive that ended up being a touchdown early in the game for USC. Uh, and then also Ashari Crosswell because of some of the things that we're talking about here, some some missed opportunities. Uh, he Ashari Crosswell had two bad assignment errors against Washington State early when they scored those two touchdowns. He kicks the ball against UCLA and had some other issues. And then we see what happens, of course, against uh, against USC, right? Um, he has you know multiple multiple play breakdowns. So mm-hmm. the the you know to just cut right to it, the chase. He's not playing well, not nearly as well as they expect for somebody that they touted to be a potential All American type of a player, a potential you know good high draft ra- draft pick in the NFL and all of that, and. Um, I think there's a, a, a variety of factors that are associated with that. Maybe he's in his own head a little bit. Maybe he's not doesn't have the confidence in some respects. So now he's a little bit hesitant on some things. Or maybe he's trying to guess and he's guessing wrong. Um, and and also it's it's partly because ASU doesn't have a great pass rush. He's the type of guy who looks good when quarterbacks are having to get the ball out, and he's able to go and make plays a little bit more 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 easily. When you when you have to put him into man covered situations where a quarterback has time to operate, it's a bad situation for him. So, you know, bringing it up to what's going on right now is we saw that for the first time all year, Crosswell wasn't even working with the first team. And there's a, a real possibility that even with Cam Phillips out because of a concussion and Willie Hart's uh, out because of uh, an, an arm, right? He, he got hurt and knocked out of the game with a, what we believe is a right arm injury, that they may still not play Ashari Crosswell. And that's really with that's the first really team. Surprising and that's really surprising. That's a big development when you have two other Ranger safeties that are not going to be able to play. And then we also saw today that Kiwan Markham, was out there with the ones along with Kobe Williams. And 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 to this point, just one more thing, is that a lot of fans, um, even before the season and certainly throughout the early portion of the season, were saying that they thought that Kobe Williams should be on the field more as a Ranger with Jack Jones and Chase Lucas on that on the perimeter because of some questions that they had about where ASU was at from a from a coverage and capability standpoint, right? And that looks kind of like it's been validated, and this is a, a this is also, of course, the you know uh, after a lot of questions about ASU's offensive line configuration at the beginning, beginning of, the, of the season, right? When we kind right. of were saying, hey, like they might want to think about going Cole Cabral back to center, and then they were a little bit delayed in doing so. And Dave Christensen told you that that they'd be crazy to move. Cabral yeah, back to he center. thought that, that was kind of like didn't make a lot of sense, but then they you know they ended up doing it, right? So. Uh, you know, there's definitely some issues, and I think that the the fact that it's clear that Crosswell, Berlin, Robertson, they haven't taken a big jump in their play. They may have even regressed, but they definitely haven't taken a, a jump forward. That's a little bit concerning if you're ASU because these are the guys that you're that you are internally saying that we're banking on, that we're relying on, mm-hmm. and getting us through you know, and improving and being the, the, the centerpieces of our, of our defense. And now you're losing not just games, but to your, you know, the most important rivals probably in the PAC 12 South outside of Arizona. I think it's also worth mentioning. I mean, every, everything that was just said is incredibly important, but it's also worth mentioning and, and putting out there that today, Tuesday, specifically during practice, when we watched Kiwan Markham play, 
there were multiple coaches that were were pretty complimentary of what he was doing during the observable eleven on eleven. And 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 there there were a few coaches, Tony White and Herm Edwards specifically, that spoke pretty highly of him during Marvin practice. Marvin Lewis as well said something to Herm Edwards about how well he was doing out there. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to build those guys up, right? And well, it was it was also like like private conversation that wasn't directly to Markham that they were pulling each other aside and they were like, yeah, that was a pretty good rep right there. That looked pretty good. Yeah, they said that he was wasn't making contact with the series, playing pretty clean in coverage. Yeah, well, so look. ASU relies on its Ranger safeties to be able to handle man coverage assignment. That's a very important part of the role. Now, we said, you know, maybe ultimately, Ashari Crosswell is better suited to be a Tillman than a Ranger. I, mean, I was saying that, you know, quite some time ago, but then Evan Fields is really better suited to be a Tillman than a Ranger, and Tyler Wiley is better suited. So you get into a situation where you're trying to get all your best players on the field, mm-hmm. and, and they also really like what Cam Phillips is, but they're need, they're going to need to be able to cover athletic players operating in the slot with those types of guys. And moving from defense to offense, you talked about it a little bit on the open, Chris, about Joey Ellen's performance. What analysis can you give us about how he looked to you in his first career start after you've been able to go back and look at it on film? Well, I just really want to say he he's he did way better than I expected that he was going to perform. And not, not not that I didn't think that he's not talented quarterback, because I always thought he was a talented quarterback. But the game, even in practice settings, in spring ball and then in camp, was too fast for him, even against ASU's defense. And then when you know that you're playing against a team that has a, a very dynamic uh, pass rush, mm-hmm. They have athletes that are really good on the field. And you know that he hasn't been taking many reps for for two, three months now because they're given almost all the reps of their starting quarterback to try to maximize his preparedness for games, right? That's a bad situation to then throw a guy out there in his first game. And so I just thought that, that was going to be difficult. I know that he has a tendency to take more chances than Daniels with some of his throws. We were debating what would be a good over-under on interceptions in the game on how many we thought. I thought he'd have two or three interceptions. He ended up having two, and there were a couple other balls that easily could have been intercepted, right? And I think we know that. It would have looked different if he had a four-interception performance than a two-interception performance. It should have been three. It, it should have been three interceptions. At least, One of them was out uh, of the hands of an ASU line, uh, a, a USC linebacker, excuse me, and into the hands hit, of it Tommy. It hit John Houston in the hands and dropped right into but Tommy also, I mean, hands. I think saying it should be three might be a little bit unfair in the fact that the, oh, last, the yeah. last one was an unbelievable play by Christian Rector. Sure, I mean, but it, it still happened. Yeah, but so, I, I, so I, I, don't them, agree, I don't agree, though, two that, of them that, already that if existed. one barely happens, it's, it's got a higher I, probability I, I of difficulty. Yeah. I think you make a good point, but there was, there was, a, there was another one that should have happened, there was one and there was, was another one that could have happened. So I think, three, I think three is probably what the average would have been. It doesn't, doesn't really matter, neither here nor there. The point is that he, takes, he does take more chances. He threw an interception uh, you know, down by the goal line on a first down when ASU was already like pressing into scoring territory. He didn't look the safety over. The safety was 15 yards depth. Okay, Isaiah Pullen, I was going to go over and get to that ball every single time. So that the, so there's mistakes. Okay, mm-hmm. but that all I was saying is is that he takes more a little more chances. There's some more mistakes than than Jane Daniels, who's a little bit more conservative. But there's right. also some advantages to that, meaning you can open things up with your offense and your passing game maybe a little bit more. 
ASU's coaches said that they felt like they were going to be able to get some one-on-one shots down the field, and they hit on them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Darby had a nice catch. Probably his best game of the season. He, yeah, and he had another one that was called back on a you know Benjamin tripping that was very costly for for ASU, who again had self-inflicted wounds, right? Like right. they had nine more penalties. They had they and, and they were they were costly. Like it was a you know forty yard pass or whatever that was called back. They had the trick play where they had Ladarius Henderson was way downfield and that was called back. They had uh, there's one other that's escaping me right now that also was a pretty costly mistake that ASU had. But so you you kind of put all that together and you say that for a first performance it was it was it was very good. Right. And um and they're different types of quarterbacks, especially impressive considering ASU hasn't had great protection, but this game only gave up one sack. Right. And they did some things creatively to try to help uh, Yellen. And even though he's more of a pocket-oriented quarterback than Daniels, mm-hmm. uh, I, I I thought it was I thought it was really impressive. And the bottom line here is the last time that ASU's had two freshman quarterbacks that were this talented on the team together is like definitely not in any recent history. So that's like you got to go back probably decades and much longer than that. So that really sets them up extremely well for the future if they can surround those guys with the right talent. And once again, let me just say that a lot of people, very kind of surprising, but a lot of people always say, well, are we going to be able to keep Joey Allen? That's what fans are out there chirping, right? Because he's so good. This is his audition tape. He's going to go somewhere else. Okay, cool, fine. But he's going to have to sit out somewhere if he transfers. Jaden Daniels is probably a three-year quarterback at ASU because he's really good and he has a chance to be a first-round pick. Well, Joe Young goes somewhere else, sits out, then has to compete with somebody. He might get one more year of starting versus redshirting, sitting out two years, and it being a two-year starter as in year four and year five of his career at ASU. So I think that – I'm not saying that's not possible for him to consider trying to start one extra year somewhere, but – when you know that you're probably going to be that guy at ASU for at least a two-year starter, that also is, is, is probably pretty enticing. And he has Mike Bercovici on the sidelines talking to him every single day as ASU's GA, two kind of similar quarterbacks, both from California, both kind of came into the program overweight, needing to get into better shape. They have similar styles. Bercovici held out. Didn't play for four years and then started one year, right? So I think that's another advantage for ASU. What do you guys think about Yellen? Yeah, and I, I think just to wrap up everything that you were saying, with Joey Yellen coming in, we were talking before the game, all of us, just how much of a point differential would it be with with Joey Yellen in the game as opposed to Jaden Daniels? And you know, we were thinking, 10 I said ten to 17. to seventeen, right? So and and the fact is, they had a chance to win the game at the end, and and they came back. Even and they though, felt like they should, and they felt like they should, and and this is a point I wanted to make, as since Chris and I were talking on the field. Um, as the game was ending, sort the the time and how ASU played the clock in those last three four minutes in USC's final drive, ASU burned its last t- uh, two timeouts on I think it was a third and eighteen and a fourth and six and didn't have any timeouts for their final drive mm-hmm. and they seemed to be a little rushed in those last three minutes. I, that's a really important point. So it started with ASU taking a timeout on a two point conversion because I think it wanted the ball move from the middle of the ha- middle of the thing to the hash which you, you, you shouldn't take a timeout for that when you're when you're trailing in that whole situation. Now, I understand keeping – even if you take that timeout and you have two timeouts left, I understand you're trying to stop the clock, and you can – on offense, the clock stops on first downs. You can spike the ball. You have more control, right? But I think that you want to if – I'm, if I'm in that situation, they had 330 left. 
I, I would rather have 245 left in one timeout just in case when you get to a situation that you may need that timeout. Because I think that what happens is you can get a little bit racy. And then I also want to say that I think they should have taken – they should have spiked the ball once or twice in that situation because there were multiple times when it took a while for the play to get in, and, and that was slow developing. And maybe it took 15, 20 seconds of clock that, you know, if you have a spike or a timeout, you save that, you get an extra play or two. That was a factor. But let's also just, you know, say, you know, pretty bluntly that – uh, even though it wasn't a routine catch, Brandon Ayuk had an opportunity to make a catch, and then there was a really big costly drop by Tommy Hudson on the ball over the middle that he absolutely should have caught. 99 times out of 100 you should catch, and at a minimum, if you don't score, you're sitting there in the red zone with multiple opportunities remaining. This is That was what I was going to bring up. Just if you watch the play, and there are ways to watch it right now on YouTube— what would you say? Pretty good chance he scores on that ball if he makes the if he makes that catch. Chance he scores. On that. Yeah, a pretty decent chance. Pretty good chance. But 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 you're in the red zone regardless. Right. With uh, multiple. Probably down to about the ten. Yeah, five to ten. Multiple sure. chances to then. But I'm but I'm saying that there was a, there was a chance you don't even need to try after that catch. Sure. If he possibly. makes that catch. There's a, there's a, it, there was a legitimate chance, and you can make a legitimate argument that Tommy Hudson would have scored had he held on to that. And ball. by the way, another thing: ASU missed a PAT early in the game. And then went for two later to try to make up for the for that, which was the reason was that they would have been able late. to kick a field goal to tie the game, and potentially send it to overtime. They would if they would make the PAT, then another PAT, then they have a chance to kick a field goal, and we're going into overtime. Right now, just since we talked about the tight end situation, I think it's really important to just say here, the tight end play has really let ASU down this season. This has been demonstrably poor. They have had, they've had. Curtis Hodges, in a, what game was it when he had the drop over Cal, the middle? Cal, he had a bad games. drop. UCLA when they were driving There have again. been multiple games. Yes, but I'm saying like really the Cal the one. The Cal one was the one that would have sealed the game yes. if he would have made the catch. He dropped the ball. ASU had to punt. Cal had a chance to Correct. score and keep going. So, so when you are having more drops in key situations and catches, even when you're open with a group – and this followed, remember, UCLA. Probably got more drops than he has catches this season. Yeah, I, I think that definitely. But then <laughs> it follows uh, ASU coming out in a two-tight end look against UCLA and mm-hmm. Nolan Matthews having two false starts. And then Nolan Matthews even recently. A week later, or two weeks later. Not sure where to line up and, and all that. Three times right. in the first quarter. And so, he's the one that's really talented that Herm Edwards was really excited about coming into the, the season. So this is this is the, these are the challenges that you have when you're Rob Likens with, you know, just trying to uh, just trying to get yourself in the in the best situation that you could possibly. And by the way, before we wrap it up, because I know I know that I know that we're that we're, you know, kind of being a little more long winded today. But I just also want to say ASU's inability to get pressure on Slovis was a really big issue in this game. Mm-hmm, but definitely. we saw that but we saw what happens when you when you bring a lot of pressure and you and and the opponents know that that's coming because there were times when USC hit on screens where ASU's overloading trying to get to the quarterback and had big plays that were working off of that. Right. So there's 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 really big coaching challenges on both ends that just uh, illustrate the need for ASU to get another infusion of talent mm-hmm. to try to, you know, be mm-hmm. able to overcome some of these things. Yeah. And the last thing I, I want to know, Chris, and you wanted to discuss this is what you think this three game losing streak really means for the program. It's the first time under Edwards 
that they've lost three in a row. Uh, where do you think it puts the team right now? Well, I just want to reiterate that the five and one start was a little bit deceiving because you know even though ASU lost to Colorado and probably shouldn't have, it didn't beat anybody in any way that didn't involve a fourth quarter comeback at any decent teams right and um and, and so you know, it's 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 this this asu team is was probably looking at it now and seeing everything and seeing everybody else in the league it's a six to eight win type of a team that can go either way depending upon how the ball bounces and what happens in certain games they're gonna they're gonna probably end up somewhere in that range you know probably not on the higher end of that range obviously now but um but it does matter that you're losing these these games, but the thing that I said on our on the, the sanctuary and the board to ASU fans is recruits and their families and high school coaches, they don't carry the emotional burden of that year over year over year sort of a disappointment of having opportunities and then those opportunities not coming to fruition. So they don't they don't see it this the way that, you know, ASU you know fans do in my interactions with the recruits i probably talked to eight to ten after the game and the last couple days and and um it's very positive i think they feel like oh we got nfl coaches here that can help us get to the league they play young players they play a style of football that's conducive to our ability to be successful show what we can do on the field Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of positives even still but at the same time you do need to get to a bowl game you need those practices you need to finish out the season with some sort of a positive note All right, now we're going to shift to ASU Hoops, Bobby Hurley's squad. Uh, they lost what was a closer game than I think a lot of people expected after Tayshawn Cherry and Ramella White uh, were not playing with the team due to a violation of team rules. What did you guys make of that game overall? Well, I mean, there's a lot, but I think some of my biggest takeaways, I thought Alonzo Verge would, would um, not be as inefficient as he was in the game and just... There's probably going to be some games, I guess, where he, you know, isn't shooting the ball well, and there's some issues. But I thought just from what the opportunities that we had to watch him, and from his junior college career, averaging over 30 points a game, his uh, his pretty high efficiency at that rate, that he would, you know, be able to make more of the shots that he took than, than he did in that game. And he, a lot of them were actually seemed like pretty good looks, honestly. Um, so that was one thing. Not a surprise, of course, to see Remy Martin play really well and do a lot of the things that he did. Um, I, I think the most alarming thing probably for ASU is that in the absence of White and Cherry that uh, Khalid Thomas and Andre Allen didn't really play that much at all, even after Thomas started, right? He only played a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And so that's 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 an issue. Now, you're they're going to get um, – you know, lesser opponents coming up here that we're going to be watching them play. And so those guys are going to be in probably more garbage time. They're going to get more, you know, more action in games that aren't expected to be close. They'll probably get more opportunities earlier because of that. But if you're a junior college player and you're not coming in ready to contribute at a pretty good clip when you're needed because you have two starters that are out of the lineup, that's a little bit concerning because it it doesn't really – portend well to their ability to be successful players in uh against quality opponents anytime in the near future right and so that means that they're probably going to be a little bit more uh narrow with some of their options that they have Mm -hmm. with their lineups with the number of guys that they have in their rotation and all that 
And that was something that stood out to me too, is that Khalid Thomas and Andre Allen played two and six minutes respectively. And in a game where you don't have Romello White, and that's a guy that's expected to be your leading rebounder and going up against Colorado, they have a big guy in the paint like Evan Batty. You know, that's something you're going to have to maybe theoretically combat with. And that's what Colorado really tried to take advantage of right away. They went to Batty in the low post, let him do some one-on-ones. They got him off some screens, and then they just played off of him. I think Deshaun Schwartz had three three three-pointers in the first half or something like that. So Colorado just really made it a half-court game, and ASU didn't really look like it was necessarily comfortable within its half-court sets at the start, and that contributed to maybe Alonzo Verge not being able to get the sort of fast-paced transition opportunities that would maybe be best suited for him. Yeah, that's a good point. Hurley even said after the game that he felt like they needed to be playing in in a higher-possession game, ideally, to have the type of success that they wanted to have. But it's going to be tough because because opponents are going to try to control tempo just as well to the to to what's well suited for them and um the uh, the identity of what this team is going to be might take a little bit of time to to coalesce because you after you lose uh two all-league caliber players right in 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 Cheatham and Dort uh and they're great defensive players and they're kind of anchor players it's going to probably take some time to sort itself about what these guys actually are, but you can't afford to get into any kind of a hole in the non-conference, especially with the Pac-12 looking like it's a little bit better this year, right? Yeah, and, and then the one thing that I would add was that the the pace of the game really seemed to change for ASU and the direction of the game really seemed to change for ASU when they put Jalen House into the game and they kind of started opening up this like chaos format and then they didn't open the game like that. Why wouldn't you just start the contest with either house out there or playing this high tempo, high speed format of play? Because that seemed to work for them. And if that's the identity that they want to run with, then why wouldn't you just run with it? Jalen house is like a bull in a China shop. Like that dude, he, he, I mean, he overplays stuff so much on the defensive end and there's, he's going to have to figure out how to, still play within a structure that works because if, if you're not doing that, you're going to end up giving up a lot of, you're, you're going to get some steals some turnovers. You're going to create some opportunities to, uh, with your defense to the offense, but you're also going to give up a lot of like points when he's on the field because good teams are going to get rotations. They're going to get, you know, drop downs for some dunks. They're going to get some open threes. And he's the type of guy where the, the, those things are going to start happening if he, if it's not more of a controlled approach. And, and at Shadow Mountain, it was just all out when he was at Shadow Mountain in high school, all out full court pressure the whole game. I, I think they played Pinnacle last year. And when they played Nico Mannion, then they were doing the same thing. If uh, I don't know if how many listeners out there saw a couple of years ago, they played Gilbert Christian, who got demoted to like 2A, 3A. And I think they forced like 20 something turnovers in that game. So that's just the style he's used to and, and sort of the intensity right. that's going to be that he's going to play with. And maybe that's a little bit differently than his dad. His dad was a very good offensive player, Eddie House. And Jalen's a guy that's going to get up your face and try to play at a high tempo. And we saw that work at times, but then in the same light, um, and uh, it, it caused a lot of havoc, but then he missed a lot of layups too. I think he had two or three in the second half. And as a whole, I think ASU as a team missed around seven or nine layups in the game. So that's something that's going to have to be more controlled because they did miss some opportunities in that fashion too. I, I watched him play several times in high school and AAU ball, and he's very, he's an extreme streak type of a player. Like on offense, if he starts making shots, he, he's, I think I saw him make like eight or nine threes and a half one time but then I've also seen him miss like every three that he takes and miss like 10 threes so 
you know, you can't, but you, you can't have a guy like that playing that crazy frenetically unless you have something that you can bank on reliably also from him. Like it's okay if you have a great shooter, great player who's missing a whole bunch of threes, but you know that you know what, what you are from an ideology standpoint and it's all kind of makes sense and works and everybody's like on the same page when it starts to become to Jacob's point, something that you're not really sure exactly what we are or who, or who we are or what we're doing. And then you have a player that's, that's you know, running it around like that. Then it can actually break you from kind of within. So they, they're going to have to be very careful about that. One other thing. And, and, Chris, Trevor, and I, you, the three of us were at one of Bobby Hurley's recent press conferences, and he drew comparison between Jalen Graham and Daquan Lake. That was such a good comparison, and he filled that role pretty well. Five blocks in the game, three for four from the field, six points. That was a really, that was exactly what they needed him to do, and he did it. Well, he's a quick second leaper. He's a good rebounder, rebounds out of his area. He can test shots both on the ball and as a help defender and he's a guy who can be an anchor type of a defender, you know, cause he's long lanky, you know, he uses, he uses all of his tools effectively. Uh, and I think where, where I saw him improve a lot in the last year was more like on the offensive end. We didn't see it as much in this game, but I think that he has the ability to do like short drives from the elbow from, you know, from the high post, I think he has the ability to, to score on over both shoulders with the jump hooks and all that kind of stuff. And I think he's also a guy that you can probably throw the ball up to a lot in situations with help coming over and he can go get it. He can dunk. He can finish above the rim, those types of things. So he's he's going to be an, an energy, a guy who, who plays effectively at both ends. He also should be able to run the floor well for his size. Um, and... I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up playing more than Adams, you know, obviously, which is, you know, maybe that's a negative because you, you expect more from a junior college player, but if Graham is better than, you know, people expected to be, that sort of also makes up for it. And he's also a freshman. So he's a good guy who's a backup to Romello white right now that can kind of take over for him uh, after that. What do you guys think about, Looking ahead this this upcoming Thursday to ASU's home opener against Central Connecticut State. I mean, it should be a blowout. Yeah, you know, um, I think beyond just the score, you want to see that ASU is is figuring out how exactly it wants to handle its possessions and what its defensive rotations should be looking like across all types of situations, right? It, it's it's not so much like the outcomes. It's more about what each possession looks like relative to the type of play that is involved, right? And 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 also sharing the ball, floor spacing, doing a good job of of getting the right types of shots for your offense, as opposed to just kind of being a a throw it, ring it around the perimeter and somebody chucks it up type of a thing. That can't be it either. You have to try to work from inside out, either via Post-entry pass, Romello White is a good pass from the interior if he plays. We'll see. But then also dribble drives, Verge, Martin, kick-out opportunities, the right the right types of shots. And I think just in general it's going to be a process for Bobby Hurley to find out who he likes on the floor together because there were yes. a lot of guys in and out of the lineup in the offseason. He said this is maybe 
more difficulty than he's had in years past just because he hasn't been able to put it all together. So that's what these two games are going to give them an opportunity to probably play. take more than two games. But yeah, right. But, exactly. but it's going to help him accelerate that. So it's going to be a fun, crazy kind of weekend. Chris and I will be in Corvallis, Oregon. Then Chris is going to wildly cover an ASU basketball game on Sunday afternoon. I won't as long even as be my back flight's not yet. late. Right. Um, but that's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Uh, for publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long and thank you for tuning in. Hakuna Matata.